Welcome to Research Recap on JP Morgan's Making Sense podcast channel. I'm your host, Nora Santivani, Senior Economist here at JP Morgan. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Bruce Kasman, Chief Economist for JP Morgan. And we're here to discuss the global inflation outlook for 2024. Bruce, thanks so much for joining me today on this podcast. Hi, Nora. Thanks for having me. This is a really exciting time to be talking about inflation. Yes, yes, exactly. So, Bruce, do you want to kick us off by summarizing how global inflation played out over the last year? Did we get any major surprises relative to our views? And where do we stand as we turn into the new year? As I think most of our listeners know, we were sitting here after the pandemic with a major spike in inflation. And that spike, which put the inflation picture up at around 5% globally, basically stayed with us through the first half of 23. The headline numbers did come down as we went through the first part of 23, but that was largely a food and energy price story. But what has happened in the last six months has been very encouraging, which is that the core numbers, the less volatile basket that excludes food and energy, which had also been running at about 5%, made a step down almost to 3% in the second half of the year. That was a very big step. It happened pretty much across the world, but it wasn't actually as broad across the components of the basket. And I think that's one of the interesting features of it. It was very concentrated in goods pricing, in which actually, as we went through the last few months of the year, goods pricing actually fell into negative territory. And service pricing did come off somewhat, but remains sticky and remains quite elevated. And that's why we should recognize that even though we made that step down from something around five to something close to three, three is still well above where central banks want things to go. So with that as a background, Nora, of course, the big issue now is what happens next. We've been obviously thinking about this. What do we think is going to happen next to inflation as we move through the first six or nine months of 2024? Yeah, Bruce, as you said, core inflation fell materially in the second half of last year. And I think a lot of commentators and markets have been extrapolating from that move into the first half of the year, expecting a further decline. Now, we here at JP Morgan on the economics team, on the global team, we're pushing back against this view of a further material slide in inflation in the first half of the year. We think that the recent decline in inflation momentum is likely to run out of steam here a little bit. We're expecting global core inflation to get stuck closer to the 3% rate rather than get down to 2% by the middle of the year. Now, of course, over a year ago, inflation rates are going to continue to move lower, we think, over the next 6 to 12 months. We're looking for about a 1 percentage point move down in those over rates, again, closer to 3%. Importantly, we think this recent period of deflation in goods prices that you alluded to that had actually pushed core goods inflation into negative territory will begin to reverse here a little bit and probably move up in a way that it runs closer to its pre-pandemic trend rather than stay in these negative rates. Now, elsewhere, labor markets are still tight and that will continue to put pressure on services inflation. So the decline in services inflation that might come over the first half is likely to be fairly modest. So this end of the decline in core goods prices, along with fairly sticky services inflation, will keep overall core inflation above central bank targets in major developed markets. Now, for the U.S. specifically, Bruce, we've seen a fairly significant easing in core PC inflation, which is, of course, the Fed's target. And that's already running pretty close to 2%. And there is a view out there, including the FOMC's own view, that inflation will continue to come back 
down towards 2% this year, even as the economy is growing close to trend. So what are your thoughts on the U.S. inflation outlook? Are we on track for a sustained decline in inflation back to the Fed's comfort zone this year? So I think what's interesting about the U.S. is that it has had more extreme dynamics in CPI than what we've seen globally. The U.S. core CPI basket We just received the latest inflation numbers for December for the U.S., so we should keep that in mind, but had been running on the six-month basis through November at minus two and a half. So that's deeply deflationary relative to a world where things have come off and gone negative, but not nearly as much. And you've had quite a bit of stickiness, particularly on the shelter cost side, but not only on that in the CPI. So you have that pattern that you sort of described globally that played out in a somewhat more extreme fashion in the U.S., But then you have another wrinkle in the U.S., as you mentioned, which is the Fed actually targets a PC basket, which is a different animal than the CPI and is generally not targeted in other countries. And that in the last six months, while CPI inflation has been running about 3%, the core PC inflation reading has dipped below 2 Now, there's every reason to be encouraged by that, particularly as that is the Fed's target. But there's also every reason to be somewhat cautious about it when you look at what has been driving that. And you recognize that there's a component of pricing that is not actually set in the market, but is imputed by the statisticians in order to get a complete basket of prices for the consumption of U.S. households. And as a result of that being a big driver of these things down, we would be somewhat more cautious. I think the Fed is a bit cautious about it, but it has certainly been encouraged by what it's seeing in core PC. And I think a lot of people, particularly clients that we talk to are taking the view that the core PC will be a forward-looking signal of what happens to the CPI. Let me just also say there's been fairly significant, even greater downside surprises in the HICP space in Europe. So we've had really two places where there are interesting surprises. Our economists there think some of that has reflected distortions. And in our view, what we do expect is to see the euro area distortions unwind And to some degree, the non-market pricing in the U.S., which has been suspiciously weak, start to firm, and therefore have the numbers be a little more aligned in the next few months with this broad view you were expressing about core inflation being close to 3% as we go through the first half of the year. Obviously, the world is not just U.S. and Western Europe. There's a whole bunch of other countries that matter. And the EM countries matter in some respect, as if not more importantly, because there's a big dynamic where looking for in terms of how central banks will respond to inflation decline. So what's the picture as we look out beyond the advanced economies and into emerging markets for this year? Yeah, so for emerging markets, the disinflation trend that we outlined here globally is playing out in a similar fashion. Just as in DM, the decline in EM inflation has been strongly reliant on a slide in goods inflation, while services remain a bit more sticky. China itself is flirting with deflation. In the rest of EM, core inflation has come down to about a 3.5% annualized rate, and we're looking for further easing to about 3% by the second quarter. That's broadly in line with what we're forecasting for the DM, but I think one of big differences or important distinctions we should make is that for EM, 3% inflation is actually consistent with central bank targets, so it actually gives them the space to continue easing here. 
just because those targets are less ambitious in EM than they are in DM. Now, in terms of regional distinctions, inflation pressures are weakest in EM Asia, including in China, but also outside of China. Core inflation is running close to CPI targets already in momentum terms. When we look at three-month annualized run rates, they're pretty much on target already in much of EM Asia. And even in the countries where they aren't, we think they will be by the middle of the year. Now, in the rest of EM, places like LATAM, Central Eastern Europe, we're still running a bit above central bank target midpoints in the likes of Poland, Hungary, Mexico, Colombia. So there are quite a few countries where we still haven't made that complete disinflation all the way back to targets. But the trends remain generally favorable. And of course, a key risk for EM is a rebound in goods prices here, as generally goods make up a large share of EM consumer baskets, core goods, as well as food. Now, given this importance and this over-reliance on the core goods deflation we've had recently, I think maybe we should talk a little bit more about this sectoral gap Mm -hmm. between goods and services. Now, with goods inflation having come off to very low levels, I mean core goods inflation, and overall headline inflation as well has come off a lot, shouldn't we expect that to feed through into lower services inflation as well? Why wouldn't services follow the path of goods inflation lower? When you think about the gap that's in place right now, historically, have we seen such gaps? How have they resolved? And is this time going to be any different? Well, let me start with the last part of your question, which is, I don't think we've seen as big a gap anytime in recent memory, but that's partly because we haven't seen inflation this high in recent memory. I think the basic message I would leave about goods versus service price inflation is when you look at inflation dynamics broadly over cycles, there are powerful business cycle dynamics that tend to push both goods and service price inflation in the same direction. But if you control for the cycle and some of the specifics that influence goods and services individually, you don't really see swings in goods pricing having much, if any, impact on service price inflation. So this is where I think we get to the interesting dynamic right now. You know, we had expected last year to see a big drop off in core goods price inflation. In fact, the only thing that really surprised us was it took a little longer to take hold than we had expected. We thought it'd start early in the year and it didn't really start till the spring and into the middle part of the year. And I think there are two things that are driving our view. One is that the dislocations in supply chains that had pushed transportation costs up, that had pushed commodity prices up, that made delivery times extend, those things had already been fading 22 into early 23. And that, I think, had a major impact on both pushing prices up earlier and helping to push goods pricing down. The second thing is that the cycle showed after a very big surge in goods demand in the post-lockdown period as people spent on tech, they spent on housing, they spent on durables, that really came down. And in 2023, first half, manufacturing activity fell, core goods spending overall was weak. So the cycle and the unwind of the pandemic shocks were the powerful drivers of what pushed goods price inflation lower. The problem I see in terms of extrapolating this is that I don't see the same circumstances in the services sector. The dislocations there are probably much more closely tied to labor markets. Labor markets are getting into better balance in the major economies. You can see vacancy rates come down in the US. You can see some of the wage numbers begin to move lower, but wage inflation is still running well above where it was. Unemployment rates are still low. And the service sector as a whole has been the primary driver of growth in the last year. 
and it has been consistently growing above trends. So I don't think you have the macro backdrop to have that same dynamic play out in the service sector. There is an unwind of some of the dislocations, and I think there is case for service price inflation to come down, and that's what's built into our forecast, but it's far more modest and far more gradual. Obviously, if global growth turns out to be quite a bit weaker, if the labor market sees that would change the call. But we've basically, in the next couple of quarters, have a broad view of global growth sort of settling down to trend maybe a touch below it. We don't have the kind of weakness that would by itself warrant that kind of story. But now let me turn to the more immediate issue, which is getting interesting here. We talked about the fading of supply side dislocations in terms of helping to bring goods price inflation down. But there's some interesting things going on right now in the world, which is suggesting Maybe there are some supply side pressures that are actually starting to come back onto the scene. Obviously, what we're seeing in the transportation flows in the Middle East, as well as in the Panama Canal, are potentially forces that can create some dislocations here. How significant do you think those are and how do you feel like that passes through, both in terms of the forecast, in terms of also the risk, in terms of the global inflation outlook for the next six to 12 months? Yeah, Bruce, it will depend on how long these disruptions last. And I'm talking namely about the disruptions in shipping that have pushed shipping costs up substantially over the past month. If these are sustained, then indeed we would think they're going to start adding upward pressure to consumer price inflation in coming months. The geopolitical tensions in the Middle East, namely the Red Sea, at the moment are forcing many shipping companies to reroute their vessels. This has lengthened journeys between Europe and Asia, and Asia and the U.S. East Coast, raising insurance costs, fuel costs. We also have the Panama Canal blockages, which have compounded the problem. And we are seeing also firming in some of the global PMI surveys, things like output prices are picking up, delivery times are moving higher already in December. Now, these cost increases are coming off of low levels. As you say, the COVID era global supply chain dislocations had already normalized. So we got down to pretty low levels on many of these costs. But, you know, the increases are pretty significant for the shipping costs. We've seen a doubling of many of those container freight rates over the past month. So I think it is going to put some upward pressure here. At the very least, it will bring to an end this phase of deflation in core goods prices globally. Now, an important distinction to make relative to 21-22 is back then we had a surge in global goods demand that was also adding to upward pressure. We had a very significant imbalance between supply and demand, whereas now I think the profile of demand is somewhat more mixed or softer. So it's unclear whether we're going to see anywhere near the same kind of upward pressure. Remember, we also still have this deflation from China spilling over to the rest of the world. Maybe the intensity is fading somewhat, but you know that's still there in the background. So I think there is going to be a bit of a lift here in core goods inflation moving from negative to positive, but certainly I wouldn't expect it to be very substantial. And again, it could take a few months for these to start filtering through into consumer prices. So it's going to be something that I think probably prevents core inflation from falling much below three, but it's probably also not going to push us materially above three. Let's just round this out because we've been very much focused on the core, which is the basket that excludes food and energy. And we do that because food and energy are volatile and they often obscure the trajectory, but they do have some influence on the inflation path. And I think one important question is whether or not something is happening 
in the food and energy space, which we need to account for either to the upside or the downside in terms of our inflation profile. And I would note that in this context, there's a very different role that food specifically plays in EM inflation, where it has a much larger weight in the basket than in the advanced economy. So when we talk about food, at least, there's a very EM focus in terms of its importance and driving the overall inflation outlook. So when you look at the volatiles, Nora, is there anything that's important to get across here? Yeah, look, on the energy inflation, we already got a bit of a rebound into the end of the year. We're looking for that to move a little bit higher over the first half of the year, but it's not going to be a very substantial inflationary impulse. On food, things have turned out to be more benign, I think, than many people feared. Turning into the second half of last year, we had flat concerns over a potentially material rebound in EM food prices due to adverse weather shocks due to El Nino mainly, but also some geopolitical risks from Russia-Ukraine conflict. Food inflation, it did surge, but it was contained to EM Asia. It was quite narrowly based in price prices surging. And a lot of that has actually unwound already since then. So globally, food inflation has eased back to about a 3% annualized rate at the end of last year from about 5% where we were earlier in 2023. And broadly speaking, agricultural commodity price indices are easing at this point. Now, I think part of the reason for this more modest food inflation outcome is that supply conditions have been more favorable than expected, including bumper harvest, high level of starting inventories. Also, EM authorities have stepped in in places to mitigate upward pressure on food prices, especially in EM Asia. If you look at places like India, we've seen the government stepping in to raise raw food imports to offset domestic production shortfalls. They've been releasing buffer stocks. And in other countries as well, they've put in place measures to cap domestic rice prices. So policy actions have also helped mitigate some of those pressures. We're continuing to monitor the impact of El Nino. Some of that impact could still be felt over the first half, but generally we're feeling pretty good that these volatiles won't be really a big source of inflation pressure in 2024. As we wrap up, I just want to emphasize a few things that we didn't get a chance to touch on. One is, as we're looking at sticking inflation around three, as we're debating what happens next? We don't want to lose sight of the fact that we've made fairly impressive performance progress here in terms of getting inflation off of very high levels. There's been a big positive step here. It's one of the reasons why we think there's a more likely case for actually making it through this without having to worry about the prospects of going into recession. The second thing I would just note is that we live in a world in which we focus very much on the higher frequency trajectory, three, six month changes, and inflation is inherently a noisy process. So we have to be very careful not to let ourselves get carried away by shorter term momentum. That's in some ways one of the points we're trying to make about what we think happened in goods prices in the second and half of last year. So I'll let you take us home, Nora. What do you want to end on? Yeah, I want to end on in the first half, as we said, global core inflation could settle closer to three than two. So we might not be able to resolve this immaculate disinflation debate in the US or the euro area even. On a positive note, some of the more EM specific upside risk we had worried about have not materialized. And if we continue on the trend that we've seen recently and our forecast materializes, then a number of EM central banks should see inflation fall within their comfort zones this year. Well, thanks, Bruce. This has been a very insightful conversation. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We hope you will join us next time. 
Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Research Recap. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to J.P. Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan Research Reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved.